0: You're listening
1: to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Labor, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's a song.
0: It's our favorite melody. It's a song. Give it of all the people that we've interviewed in this podcast, and maybe it's been close to 200 people over the years, never once have we had a person who went by the name of caviar, uh, specifically Captain Caviar. Um, I guess is uh, John Burke. Um, one lived in New Orleans. Now he lives out in the swamps. And there's the two stories here. One is the development of the Louisiana caviar industry, and two the other is the swamps and his experiences as a swamp tour guide. So, John, hi. Let's begin, first of all, that's caviar. Now, now, when people eat caviar like a, a fancy restaurant in Europe, those would be like the, the eggs of the, the sturgeon that they that's use. correct. Okay. All right now, in Louisiana, well, I don't think we have any sturgeons as far as we know, but somebody figured out that the Shoe Peak uh, would have good
1: rows su- uh, suitable for caviar. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That was kind of uh, what I did, Errol. So back in the mid-'80s, I... Um, discovered that the shoe pick, uh, the well, common name is bowfin, but Cajuns call it a shoe pick, and it's a ganoid class of fish. In other words, it's um, it's a 200 million year old species of fish. So mm-hmm. human brains are not even set up to fathom 200 million years ago. That's only 100 million years before dinosaurs were here. They had this fish that looks just like it does today, swimming abundantly in our body. So when we took the row of that fish, since it's a cousin to the sturgeon is also a ganoid class. When I took the row of that fish and we processed it like you would a sturgeon caviar, it turned black. But we were like, well, it looks like caviar and it tastes like caviar. But who's going to eat this trash fish caviar? Because shoe pick was considered of no economic value. It was a trash fish when I came along. It's kind of like the vibe so long. Nobody had any economic value. Yeah, well, the flesh of the fish is like this gooey, gummy, mashed potato consistency that tastes really bad to most people. There are some people out there that do eat the flesh, but it's um, not enough to have any economic value to it. But the eggs were a whole nother story. So when I sent those eggs up to New York and to Dallas, I'll get these phone calls back. Yeah, we'll take 10,000 pounds of that. Oh, we'd like 5,000 pounds of this. So I was like, holy cow, so do I continue on to law school, because I was at school at LSU, fixing to graduate with my undergrad degree, and or do I want to be a caviar producer? So I chose to be a caviar producer, and for over over 30 years, I um, went out here into the swamps of Louisiana, uh, capturing these prehistoric fish and uh, taking the road to process it into caviar and selling it all over the world.
0: Now, does it taste like the sturgeon caviar?
1: Well, each one of the caviars have their own particular taste and flavor and egg size and color. So it's, um, it depends on who you ask. John Fultz, Chef John Fultz, says that it's better than the Russian caviar. Um, it's been on the menu at Commander's Palace, for example, for over 35 years now, Errol. And I'm sure it's not because I'm such a handsome fellow, but the product really sells itself
0: um so would you just okay compare it to the, the Russian caviar how is it different like is it saltier or more bitter or sweeter
1: or, or what no we are um, well' start on price so it's one tenth of the price of Russian caviar maybe even less anymore because um, you're really not getting Russian caviar too much um, in the United States um but it's way cheaper. And the quality is there. So because it is one of these prehistoric fish, then I would consider it a true caviar. And um, and then uh, after, well, about 20 something years, 25 years of doing this product, my customers were asking me, well, do something different. Give us a flavor, John. There must be something else you can do with it. Help us out here. And so I started experimenting with what I could add to the row as we were processing it into caviar. And I came up with when I added just a a hint of Naga Jalokia pepper that it gave it this kick and this big bam, as Emerald might say. And, um, oh, people really like, people don't even like caviar, loved my ghost pepper caviar. Is this what they call the ghost pepper? It is.
0: Right. Now, certainly you must have tried it with with, with, with Tabasco.
1: We did, we tried with Tabasco, we tried it with jalapeno, we tried it with habanero, we tried it with ginger, we tried it with lemon, we tried We tried it with a lot of things, Errol, and so some of them were okay, but when we got to the Naga Jalokia, the ghost pepper, and we figured out just how to add it and just how to get the flavor of the pepper without the burn, then we knew we had something on our hands because you get the flavor of the caviar on the front end, But then you would get the flavor of the pepper, and again, without the burn, on the tail end of it, and the caviar world just loved it.
0: So how do you process it? Okay, first you catch fish, all right? Right. And then you open it and you
1: get the roe, and then what happens from there? Then you separate the eggs from the fatty tissue and add salt. So that's kind of the plain and simple of it. It's a little bit more involved in that but it's not caviar until you've gotten rid of the fatty tissue and added salt. And then it really cures pretty quick, um, pretty much overnight. So it's not immediately caviar, but by 24 hours later, that's what we would consider edible caviar. Very good. The freshest in the world. Um, Is this,
0: how is it sold commercially in Louisiana? If somebody wants to go and get a jar of it,
1: where can they get it? Oh, Martin Wine Cellar. So Cedric Martin's been, you know, a good promoter of the product, and uh, these days I think you can get it at a variety of high-end uh, grocery stores as well. Um, so uh, you might look at Langenstein's and uh, you know some other places like that um, to to pick up a jar of it as well, because it's how really a, how
0: much would like a I don't know a pint of it
1: cost. Well, it's not by the pint. You sell it by the ounce, and um, it's about eighty dollars for two and a half or three ounces of it. So it's wow. it's really quite expensive. It's not a grocery store item. So yeah. you know, a, a mother pushing her grocery cart around uh, Winn-Dixie is probably not going to put an eighty-dollar jar of caviar in her cart. No. Um, but if you're having a special party or New Year's or Christmas or for caviar lovers. Then oh that is really inexpensive caviar uh, to pick up and, and serve your guest. How do you like to eat it? Well, I get to ask this question a lot, and um, my favorite way is caviar body shots, Errol. Caviar what? <laughs> body shots. Body shots. Okay, you got to explain. Yeah. <laughs> so you put a little caviar on, you take a little caviar off, take a little champagne. Yeah, most. Uh, so it's just doing the caviar straight up because if you start adding too many of the traditional condiments that people have added to caviar in the past, then you totally disguise the flavor of this caviar. So it has uh, such a delicate flavor that, oh, any kind of, if you have too much onion, too much caper, too much egg, too much anything else, it's really going to disguise uh, the flavor of the, of the caviar. Um, chefs are genius. You know, all the chefs at Commander's Palace or the Alex Patus or John Fuls' of the world. Oh, the Brian Landry's. Oh, they come up with so many genius things to do with caviar. To me, it's just unbelievable. They are they are the real creators.
0: Have you ever tried caviar eaten like with
1: with raw oyster? I have. Oh, many times. That's Dickie Brennan's favorite way to eat them. And you know what I call it when you put our Louisiana caviar on top of Louisiana oyster, huh, Errol? I don't know. What? It's a double dose of Cajun Viagra.
0: Okay. Wow. How's the, um, the Shoe Peak supply in the bayou? Is it, still, is it still out there? or?
1: Oh, yeah, they're still out there. Actually, back in the late 80s, I worked with the wildlife and fisheries biologist, and we studied Shoe Peak so that we could write the legislation to make this a sustainable product for generations to come. So that was very important to me as well. So, after doing all of these studies, we, um, with the backing of wildlife and fisheries, we had legislation introduced uh, that's still in existence today, which, uh, which protects the, the species of, uh, of shoe pick overall in our state.
0: Now, do you still own the company or, or didn't you sell part of it? I
1: don't. Yeah. I sold the company, oh gosh, about six or seven years ago. Three ladies got together and bought me out. And it didn't hurt that one of them is married to Chef Emeril Lagasse. So Emeril's wife and two of her girlfriends got together and bought my business out. And they still run it. They still operate it. It's still called Cajun Caviar. Uh, You can find the product at CajunCaviar.com. It's still at all the restaurants. And, uh, you know, uh, with all of the distribution outlets that Emeril had, even though I'd exported all over the world, still he can just, you know, do circles around me for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well speaking of cages let's talk a little bit about the Bayou. So you're located you're spending your time on the uh, on the Chafalaya on the Chafalaya River or on the, on, on the uh...
1: Yeah it's kind of what I'm on a section of the Chaffalaya River called the lower Chafalaya River because originally right here where I'm at the Chafalaya had an upper channel and a lower channel and this lower channel got cut off from the main channel. About 1930, when the Corps of Engineers built a levee system around the Atchafalaya Basin, which enclosed almost a million acres of wilderness. Oh. And I live right along on that. I do.
0: Now, you give tours, right?
1: Yeah. So I've been uh, I've been a Louisiana Swamp Tour captain. That's the reason for the Captain Caviar. Because <laughs> uh, when I sold my company... Um, I needed something else to do, take up my time. My mother was like, well, you know, the swamp tour guy died next door. Why don't you go get your captain's license? Move back down home. Uh, You know, entertain tourists doing swamp tours, son. You'll be good at it. I was like, yeah, mom, I always wanted to move back onto the plantation there. I just thought you and dad would have to croak first. (laughs) Instead, I got very blessed and I got to move in right next door to my mom and dad's plantation home. Um, and uh, and be here before my dad passed, and while well, my mother still has her health. And and yeah, and so now I entertain tourists from all over the world doing swamp tours in the uh, Cypress Forest of the Atchafalaya Basin.
0: What is it that excites the tourists the most?
1: Well, what I notice is that if we see alligators, I get a tip. If I don't see alligators, there's no tip for you. Okay. <laughs> so it's funny how they all wanna see alligators. But really, I yeah, make it an educational experience. So we learn a lot about uh, uh, the fauna, like the Spanish moss, or you know how do you tell the difference between a tabletop cypress and a bald cypress, or you know how our ecosystem works out here, how the delta system works out here. Um, the alligators come and go. I get alligators in my backyard. I have a sign walking out on the dock that says "Danger: Alligator Habitat." Because last summer, I had those white peking ducks, you know, like the aflac ducks there yeah, 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 and they all got eaten by alligators, yeah, so no more ducks, <laughs> yeah, it's terrible.
0: Uh, I've heard
1: is it true that somebody said there are two million alligators in Louisiana, yeah, that's what I read there are, and uh and we have them from north to south, so they range you know truly from. You know, the North state line to the Gulf of Mexico. So there are alligators, you know, all over our state, without a doubt.
0: Is it particular a species of alligator or is it just?
1: No, it's just an American alligator. Um, as far as I know, there's just one species of alligator called an American alligator. So a lot of people think we have a crocodile here. But of course, we do not have any crocodile. Uh, they do have some crocodile in Florida. But uh, they've not made their way over here to our swamps.
0: Now, you've worked. A lot of people listening would be familiar with uh, Troy Landry from his uh, swamp tours, and so they yeah help. swamp people show. Um, but you take him out, don't you, to kind of explore the area? And uh...
1: yeah, that's what we did for uh, for the Swamp Mystery Show uh, on History Channel. Yeah, Troy's a great guy. You know, I mean, he's a super ambassador. Um, they just finished filming their fifteenth season. So, you know, this show has gone on a whole lot longer than anybody expected, a lot longer than I expected. But, yeah, people have really uh, bought into, uh, you know, a Cajun way of life and getting out in the swamps and and taking some of these dinosaurs out of the swamps to, to maintain the populations. You know, uh, the populations have come back, you know, relatively strong and uh, sometimes they'll become a nuisance. They took a 13 foot alligator from oh, the canal across from where I live uh, just last April. So, um, you know, we're, and we have a lot of kids and water skiers and swimmers and kayakers here where I live. So, you know, so you just need to be safe for uh, for uh, for people. Um, but out in the swamps and in the wild, I think we ought to let more of them swim because that means bigger tips. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. So an alligator won't naturally come after you. Do you have to agitate them or something for them to uh, deal with everything?
1: Yeah, you have to be trying to steal the mama's eggs or take her babies or something. Um, Yeah, uh, uh, the difference between the crocs and the alligators are a couple of things that are quite apparent. One is our American alligators do not congregate like the crocodiles do. So rarely do you see alligators in big groups. Sometimes you will, but it's rare. And also our American alligators are not aggressive like the crocodiles are. Like if I could sneak up Arrow right up to an alligator and we'll let you jump right on its back, you know what would happen? What? That alligator would just get away. Uh, okay. <laughs> so nothing. So they're not aggressive. He's not going to turn around and bite you. He's just going to get the heck out of there.
0: When people talk about swamp tours, I think what they want to hear experience to hear about is things that are swampy or or, or things that are mysterious out there. Is there anything mysterious or scary
1: or spooky? Yeah, well, on my tour, we start by talking about where the tour starts, because there's a lot of ghost stories right here on the plantations property. A lot of people might have seen us on the Ghost of Morgan City. Episode number three was Mother and I telling ghost stories at her plantation which they capture a full-bodied apparition cruising across mother's dining room. And, oh, I had a voodoo. Wait, piece. wait, they cap- wait they to repeat that. They captured what? A full-bodied apparition, so a ghost. Okay. Crossing my mother's dining room during the filming of that episode. Really? So they had their infrared cameras set up inside and outside of the house, nobody there. And, oh, my gosh. And they, they look like a lady in a white dress, but you could see through the dress. Her hair looked like it was up in a bun. Looked like she was carrying something in her hands. Um, And uh, we think that we might have found who this spirit is haunting the plantation there through some of the new 3D facial recognition programs that they have out. Somebody had given my mom and dad a photograph of a group of people on the front porch there taken in 1906. And they were able to identify one of the ladies in that picture as being a nurse that had been working the yellow fever Epidemic at that plantation. And when they called her name, then a lot of their Ghostbuster little gizmos, I don't know the name of all those things, but they all start going off. They're like, wow, we have a big hit. And it happens to match this nurse working the yellow fever epidemic. So we think it's a nurse that's haunting the plantation there.
0: So did you actually see the full bodied apparition in the white dress and red hair? Yeah,
1: you can see it too. You can go onto YouTube and see Ghost of Morgan City. Episode number three, and watch it for yourself. You can you can see it for your, decide for yourself.
0: Is this a History Channel or just
1: YouTube? It was on the Travel Channel, but everything's streaming now. That was back in 2019. They came through St. Mary Parish and filmed uh, eight different episodes of ghost stories here. Okay, so one and, would uh, be that, that and that's you- one of them that I tell on my tour. There's another one out in the swamps of Jean Lafitte. Uh, bearing treasure on an island out there and uh, it has an interesting ending to that as well about finding treasure on the island um yeah it's totally there's a lot of history here like i was saying a lot of civil war history like i have uh, remnants of the old spanish trail run right through my backyard errol so as we walk down from our picnic table to the dock you literally get to walk on the same dirt as Spanish conquistadors walked on in the 1600s. The exact same dirt as Confederate and Union soldiers marched up and down right here in my backyard. Mm. And yeah. Idawa, my parents' plantation, is on the National Register of Historic Places. You know that placard given out by the Department of Interior. Because it's the site where the last surrender of the Civil War was signed. So it took news so long to travel back then. It's like those pre-dial-up days. I know you remember those days. That when General Robert E. Lee signed a surrender at Appomattox, Virginia, that was April of 1865. Well, that news did not arrive down here until that June to say the war has been over. Stop your fighting. Because they were still skirmishing in this area then. And lay your arms down. Sign the surrender, which was signed at my mom and dad's house, which means you're literally, when you're on my tour, you're literally on the property where the Civil War ended in the United States of America.
0: Wow, I never knew that. Okay, That's pretty impressive. The name of your um
1: your parents' plantation? It's called Idlewild. I d l e w i l d. It's one word, but Idlewild.
0: And what did they grow there in its in its prime?
1: It was actually a dairy plantation. Oh. So um yeah, so they had a barn a whole dairy operation. So milk and cheese and butter and. You know that's what uh, that's what they did for the local folk off of that plantation. Are
0: there any stories of alligators attacking cows?
1: <laughs> Not that I've heard. Oh. No, we do have cats and dogs disappearing without a trace. However, yeah.
0: <laughs> how about the animals of the swamps? The uh, the native animals. What are the, some of the more impressive ones?
1: Well, it's a how lot of alligators and a lot of bird watching, especially this time of the year. Plus, we get the American bald eagles come down here to nest each year. So they um, they show up about September and October and start building their nest in the tops of uh, big cypress trees out in the forest because they build really big nests and they need strong branches to hold the nest. You know, a bald eagle nest could be six foot deep and eight feet in diameter. They could weigh four thousand pounds be like a big upside down Volkswagen on the top of a Cypress tree. But anyway, they have raised their brood down here. And uh, so eagle watching is a really big thing. We do an eagle festival next month in February. It's coming up. So I help out our Cajun Coast uh, Visitor Center uh, puts on a big eagle festival. Uh, Don Dubu came uh, last year and filmed uh, uh, on my boat doing uh, going on an eagle tour. And it's on his Bayou Wild TV as well. Um, so the eagles are, are have been a big draw. I love all the birds. So I have become an ornithologist amateur uh, just because of all the people that love the birds too. And then you'll see the regular, like the, uh, you know, the otters, you know, river otters and and the nutria. Oh, every once in a while we see um, uh owls and black panthers and black bears and you know other fun things of south you you actually
0: see black panthers
1: i have matter of fact speaking of the panthers you 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 know the duck dynasty guys the robertsons yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and uh, they have a new show out called duck family treasure and they came and filmed on the property here last fall and their show aired in in the summer last june Again, you can find it on foxnation.com, uh, Duck Family Treasure, Season 2, Episode 1. And um, they are treasure hunting. So because we live on the old plantation property and on the old Spanish Trail, they wanted to come and search on our property. Well, I do have a Native American burial mound on my property too, so we had to make that off limits. No digging on it. It's protected by law. But they found some other really interesting things all like... Did you know that before there was a nickel, there was a coin called a half dime? No. And it actually says half dime on the coin. It's mm-hmm. smaller than a dime, and it's all silver. We, they found two of them, one from 1840 and one from 1841. And we did some magnet fishing along the river's edge here, came up with some neat stuff. It's really a fun episode. You'll laugh when you if see a, it.
0: If it's a half dime, why don't they just call it a nickel?
1: I don't, they just call it a half dime. That's what they printed on the coin, half dime.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned the bears. Was it like the standard Louisiana black bear?
1: It is. Yeah. So we have a lot of Louisiana black bear here. Um, I know the lady who puts out the garbage cans, the bear proof garbage cans for St. Mary Parish. And she has about 2,500 bear proof garbage cans in people's houses here in the parish, because that's how many black bears get into people's garbage around here. would not there some talk about passing
0: a law allowing them to be hunted or something or? uh...
1: Yeah, there is. They were gonna allow 10 bears to be killed um, and it's only in one northeastern corner of the state. And I don't know why, you know, what's killing 10 bears gonna really make a difference in anything, really? But wildlife and fisheries, you know, it's up to powers greater than me. I don't know why we need to kill 10 bears in the state, but somehow I guess they've got enough pull or somebody has enough money to it's going to be a lottery system. I read a little bit about it, but of course you know, I'm getting older where I don't like to kill anything. I've skinned so many deer and plucked so many ducks. It's not up to me to do any of that anymore.
0: Yeah. Um, So you know the story about Teddy Roosevelt and the black bear. the you, uh, or if not, well, let me tell you this for the audience that he came hunting in Louisiana one time and um, actually crossed over to Mississippi, but there was a, a Louisiana black bear, I guess they're in Mississippi too, all right? And right. they caught one and asked if he went, He was hunting. And they asked him when to shoot. He said, sure. And so they tied the bear to a tree. It was like a, a <laughs> company. And he said, okay, Mr. Roosevelt, here you go. Go ahead and shoot it. And Roosevelt said no, I mean he wasn't going to shoot a bear tied to a tree, okay? No way. Okay. And that became a national story, there were the journalists there, and that became the origin of the term teddy bear. Because uh, a toy company in New York thought of this and started making, you know, stuffed bears and all that, and they call them teddy bears. So it all originated with a, a Louisiana black bear in Mississippi that got a presidential pardon.
1: Yeah, how about that? Yeah, the Rough Riders and Teddy Roosevelt. I know he came through this area, in New Iberia, and uh, yeah, one of the rifles I have on my gun rack is a a Teddy Roosevelt commemorative Winchester thirty thirty. So, yeah, I'm very fond of uh, of Teddy Roosevelt, no doubt. But I didn't know his teddy bear story, and it came from here. That's uh, awesome. You know, there's some other fun stories out in the swamps there of uh, of Arugaroo. Have you seen a Rugaroo out there? I haven't. I, I, I've read about it, and I, 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 I've yet to see one. Well, you'll have to have your uh, your camera ready when you come <laughs> on tour with me. You could be the first person <laughs> ever to take a picture. Yeah. <laughs> but I have Rugaroo stories for the tourists, and it's very entertaining for everybody. You know, I know I'm a successful storyteller. When we get back to the house after the tour, and I still have adults asking me, "Is that Rugaroo really true?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there a Rougarou Festival in one of those uh, bayou towns?
1: There is in uh, Houma in October, around Halloween, they do the Rougarou Festival. So yeah, they have, you know, Rougarou festivals. They have songs about the Rougarou. They have books about the Rougarou. Heck, you can even Google search the Rougarou these days, Errol. They have action figures. So I had one little boy last week, I forget where they were from, Minnesota, I think. And, um, yeah. Oh, and we got off the tour and through the roof. He said, Oh, Mama, I have to have a Rougarou action figure. And he, he was wanting one when we were out in the bayous. But mother said, oh, I don't think there's any stores we can stop out and buy one of those, son. We'll get one when we get home.
0: Probably on eBay somewhere. So, so
1: yeah.
0: what is about the environment? What is the condition of the swamp? Is it doing okay? Is it surviving or is it a?
1: well with our lack of water it's been really quite concerning so you might have heard or seen about the lack of crawfish in the yeah. in the state this year and how expensive that they've gotten and it's due to a lack of rain and a lack of snow we get most of our high waters from the melting snow in the northern united states so all of that mississippi river drainage basin uh, coming down the mississippi river One third of it, under ordinary conditions, gets diverted off down the Atchafalaya River from up north of Baton Rouge. Unless it looks like that Baton Rouge or New Orleans might flood and they open those floodgates and send even more water down the Atchafalaya River because the Gulf of Mexico is only about 10 miles from where I'm at. So they built this levee system around it where they can really flood this Atchafalaya Basin up really high. So depending on how much water they get up north and how fast it melts will depend on how much high water we'll get in our springtime and the springtime is the crawfish season because of the flooded swamps crawfishermen are able to get back into the woods in their boats to set their nets because the crawfish live in the woods they don't live in the middle of the bayou they're eating the detritus material out in the woods so you have to be able to get out there where the crawfish are Well, with the water being so low you can't get your boat to where the crawfish to set the nets to catch the crawfish. So for the Chaffalaya Basin, uh, really devastating for that industry here. Um, not to mention the fact that I run into sandbars and mud flats and get stuck and have to push pole off and you know clog up my lower unit and you know it's um, really have to be careful out there because of the low waters anymore.
0: So what are the um. The scientific people tell you this uh, just a one year thing or is it the future?
1: Well, you know, it takes crawfish to make crawfish and with the lack of crawfish, we may not have as many crawfish in the future because they're not breeding. So, I mean, as far as the crawfish, see that low water is not looking good for them. So it was low last year and I think it's even lower this year You know, normally, our our river stage here at Morgan City for the Atchafalaya River is at about three feet, you know, give or take a little bit. Um, flood stage is six feet, but it's been less than one foot here, Errol, so it's just extremely low.
0: Do any um, animals like dolphins or manatee or anything from the Gulf, are, are they able to uh, migrate into the swamp?
1: You know what does migrate here? Bull sharks. So we've been catching more and more bull sharks in the sandbars out here in the Atchafalaya River. As a matter of fact, Troy Landry did a story on it, one of his shows just uh, just last, or week before last, on, uh, on catching bull sharks um, out here just north uh, west of Calumet, about oh, 10 miles from where I live and uh and on facebook i've been seeing people have been posting uh, pictures of the bull sharks that they've been catching off of the sandbars now they're not huge sharks but still four or five foot sharks big enough to you know to warrant you know being aware that they're there yeah
0: now there's a huge um divergent project like from morganza down to the gulf and did that affect the swamps at all
1: I'm not sure. I've not studied the uh, the Morganza Diversion. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will, you know, hopefully not in a negative way, but you know, anytime you start, you know, messing with mother nature, you're going to affect something somewhere. And um, in the past, it's not always been in a good way.
0: Well, there's a lot of concern about dolphins. There's a huge dolphin population around the the base of the Gulf, but they say that the the project is going to really be the death of a lot of the dolphins.
1: Uh, at least one. From- oh, that's sad Yeah, we have seen a few signs for manatees to be on the lookout for manatees wildlife and fisheries has posted some signs that if we see one uh to call and and, and tell the location but i've not seen any on my tour um thus far uh, there is another bird that's been here that i like that came from florida called a limpkin so, you know, just a couple of years ago, we started having this problem with uh, apple snails. So this great big oversized snail about the size of an apple. And, uh, you know, wildlife fisheries, and fisheries saying, if you see any of these snail legs are bright pink and they're on like the cypress knees and to scrape them off with your paddle into the water because they'll drown that way. And this has become an invasive species in our, in our swamps. So um, lo and behold, uh, the past couple of years, I've seen this bird called a limpkin has come over, and they eat the apple snails. So they'll take these apple snails onto the bank, and you know, just beat on them with their beak till it breaks the shell, and they eat the snails out of it. And uh, since these limpkins have been, you know, uh, over here, I have seen a whole lot less apple snail eggs and the apple snails. And the limpkin eats a freshwater clam that's actually quite large. I mean, it's like the size of the palm of your hand, Errol. I was like, I didn't know we had that big of, of freshwater clams in our bayou, but the limpkin found them and he's been eating those too. It's a big clam. Uh-huh. It is a big clam. Is it edible, I mean, to humans? Well, the bird doesn't die, so it probably is edible to humans too.
0: Yeah,
1: I bet they're good with a little caviar on them, okay.
0: I bet, I let me ask you about one more thing. we move on, sure. you've mentioned several times the cypress. I mean, you see stories like what it used to be when you had all the cypress swamps out there, and then uh,
1: right.
0: Are there still cypress growing? Oh, it? there
1: are. Um, yeah, it was amazing. They came in and clear cut um, the cypress forest. You know, back at the turn of, of the last century, and uh, most of the trees, the cypress trees that we're seeing out there today, are about a hundred to 150 years old, because that's when they came and clear cut the forest. Now we're not sure if they knew that they were doing our forest a favor or not, because really it seemed like mostly for greed, but they, the cypress trees are what they call an even growth tree. So they like to grow up at the same time about the same rate uh, evenly. So instead of being staggered in growth, they, they actually did our forest a favor by cutting all of the trees and letting a brand new forest emerge from from, from the swamps. Um, yes, I mean, uh, Patterson was huge uh, cypress sawmills uh, right here. The house that I live in today is built about 1910 by a man, F.B. Williams, Frank Bennett Williams, who had the largest cypress sawmill in the world right here in Patterson. Uh, we had about five or six sawmills, but his one sawmill alone put out over 100,000 board feet per day for decades, Errol. So that's how much cypress there was out here. So, yeah, I really do kind of miss, you know, we don't have any of the three 400, 500, 600-year-old cypress trees, um, you know, unless they left them because they weren't worth taking for lumber um but still it's nice to see the uh you know that all the trees are out there and they're still too small to harvest a lot of people are like "Where well, are they going to cut them and cut all these down well maybe in another two or three hundred years they might but uh but you know they're slow growth cypress out here so it takes that long for them to get big enough for them to harvest for lumber
0: so to be at a, a stage where you want to make a, a rocking chair out of them they got to be like 200 years old
1: Well, if you want it all cut out of one piece of wood, it would be. But of course, they take pieces of of the wood. And, you know, they look for these sinker cypress all the time now, too. That wood's become very valuable because they used to tie these big groups of trees together. And a paddle wheel boat would go out there in the swamp and pick them up out of a bayou and bring a big group of them back to the sawmill to mill those trees into lumber. Uh, mainly for building material because the cypress wood is very resistant to rot. So from, you know, the fog and rain, humidity, and uh, also it's insect resistant. The termites don't like to eat cypress. So like the Williams built my house, of course, it's all cypress. And a lot of the big mansions you see in the garden district in Uptown, New Orleans, well, they're built of cypress from our local forest. And that's what adds to the longevity of these homes.
0: I remember... Our house, we're we living in Mid-City, was built in 1910. And first time I went up in the attic, I was surprised. It smelled of cypress, which is a wonderful yeah. smell, you know. But I didn't, right. I didn't realize how how prevalent the thing is.
1: Yeah, i like one, cypress.
0: One last thing. Suppose to our Landry candy house. And he said, John, I want, you, I want you to fix me a dinner with products from the swamp. Now I'll give you whatever money you want. I want you to fix me a Cajun dinner. Okay, what would you
1: fix? Crawfish etouffee. Okay, yeah, and uh, maybe a little appetizer of uh, maybe even a caviar pie is one hey. of my favorite easiest things to make. Where you have a layer of egg salad and then a layer of sour cream, and you put a layer of caviar on top of that. Everybody needs a three hundred dollar pie, don't they, Errol? Absolutely, especially to chase a crawfish etouffee. All right. What like right. catfish?
0: You got any catfish
1: over there? Oh, a lot of catfish. Yeah, they spell they sell you know the catfish fillets fresh at the the local grocery here. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent catfish. I love bayou caught catfish because the you know the farm raised catfish I guess supplies the masses, but it just doesn't have the same flavor as a catfish that's eating natural, God given products from our bayous. Yeah.
0: Well, with the price of crawfish, it, talk about. And the price of price of uh, caviar, that's an expensive meal. <laughs> that really is. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, I, mean. I hear you. Yep, that would be a that would be a good one.
0: If anyone wants to take your
1: tours, how can they contact you? Uh CaptainCaviar.com. And uh, so I'm easy Anything to think that's
0: all one word, Captain Caviar.
1: Yep, dot .com. That's right. Uppercase, lowercase, it doesn't matter. It's a it's a website. So they can go to my website, captaincaviar.com. And there I'll have phone numbers and emails or text me. you are almost going to have to, I'm just a one man operation. Yeah. So you're going to have to call me or leave a message and I'll call you back. Cause I don't answer the phone when I'm out on the water yeah. and, uh, and I'll write you on the calendar and, um, and you show up and, and we'll, we'll take you from there. A lot of people ask if they need to leave a deposit with me or anything. I said, well, no, because the deal is if I don't bring you back, then it's free. <laughs> But well, look, do me a favor. If ever you see a Rougarou. Okay. Take a picture. All right. I, me. I have signs of where the Rugaroo are. And, and, and we'll post it on this website.
0: Do oh, Rougarou. yeah.
1: Yeah. I take them to where the first Tarzan movie was filmed. And the legend is that when they let the chimpanzees go out of those cages to film the Tarzan, that they couldn't recapture them and get them back into their cages. And some of them bred with the wolves. And it made for the Rougarou.
0: Okay. Well, the Rougarou is supposed to be a descendant from a wolf that came from France.
1: Yeah, a wolf and a chimpanzee. So it walks upright and it has this this wolf-looking nose and head on it. It comes out at night. It can't count past 12.
0: Yeah. That's one ugly answer. Okay. Well, keep on looking for Two things, man. Look for the Rougarou. Take a picture. Look for that ghost with the red dress. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Us, we'll, want it, but we'll make a financial deal with you too. I mean, you'll get something out of this, okay? Okay. Uh, but just, uh, just let us know.
1: General, thank you very much. Well, happy to have me. Thank okay. you. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Errol. Okay. Happy Mardi Gras. Stay safe. Okay. Enjoy life. Thank you. Okay, my friend. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.